You are listening to Intersections with Phil Allen Jr., engaging the issues that matter at the intersection of race, culture, and theology. When we talk about mental health, we must include a discussion around the mental health of our youth. I had the pleasure of being on State of Play, a television news show on the Black News Channel this past spring with this week's guest, Dr. Kenesha Sinclair McBride, or Dr. Sinclair, is a licensed clinical psychologist at Boston Children's Hospital and an assistant professor of psychology at Harvard Medical School. She also trains the next generation of pediatric psychologists as an associate training director of Boston Children's Hospital's internship program. So, needless to say, she has her plate full, and she's doing great work. And as you will hear her say in this episode, this is her activism. But let me share this before getting into the episode. I think too many people fail to see the overlap or the connection, the intersection of mental health and Christian theology. Too many of us are known to be selective in what we think matters to God. God certainly cares about every aspect of society, and God cares about every aspect of each of us. God cares about our soul and our bodies and our minds, not our souls over our bodies and our minds. Luke 10, 27 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. With all your mind, it certainly includes intellectually or how we think about God or our attitude towards God, which should be filled with humility, but also our attitude towards others, grace, as we reflect God to others. But that means we must also be aware of our mental health. We cannot neglect that. How do we love well if we aren't well? How do we serve well if we aren't well? How do we advocate for justice if we aren't well? Proverbs 22.6 reads, Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and even when they are old, they will never depart from it. To train up or train a child is to guide in developing habits, behaviors, and thoughts by discipline and instruction. But this is not by being dictatorial and forcing them to be what we as adults in their lives want them to be or think they should be. And when I say adults, I mean even those uh, like me without children, coaches, teachers, mentors, pastors, etc. But we do this by seeing them and hearing them, seeing their strengths and weaknesses, seeing when they are in a good space filled with joy, but also when they are down and feeling depressed. We cannot be afraid of noticing and addressing possible mental health issues in our children. Train them up so that they develop the skills, have the tools to handle potential mental health concerns in their future so that they can be all that God has called them to be. So listen in to Dr. Sinclair as she shares her passion and wisdom about addressing mental health concerns with our youth, especially since we've been in this time of pandemic. I think you'll be greatly enriched by what you hear from her. Dr. Sinclair, 
Thank you so much for joining me here at Intersections. Um, I'm honored that you could you could be here today. Um, I, I just in introduced you, and so people have a little bit of a background of who you are. Um, but I want to start with um, just you you sharing a little bit about a little bit more about who you are. What where are you from? Um, we want to be in your business a little bit this morning. <laughs> um, what's your journey like to, to where you are today uh, as a professor and a professional in your field, particularly with mental health? Um, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Of course, and thank you, Phil, for having me. I think this is such an important topic to be talking about in our communities and the kind of the intersection of both spirituality and wellness. So I'm really happy to talk about this, especially how it relates to our kids. Um, so about me. I am from uh, Waterbury, Connecticut, which is a um, smaller city in Connecticut, born and raised. My family is still mostly there. Um, so, you know, from a very early age, there are a few things I think that were just a focus for my family. Um, and that was giving back to our community um, and especially kind of working with kids. I realize now as I look at the connections between like myself and my parents, my grandparents, like we're everybody you know, did some sort of community work with children, whether it was through church or sports or what have you. So I think that there's definitely like kind of a family tradition of that. And then as for how I got interested in the work that I do, I think like a lot of smart little kids of color, <laughs> black black kids, you know, I said I wanted to be a doctor because that's what people want to hear yeah, from you. And yeah. I didn't really think about really what that meant for a long time. But as I got older and like moved through, um, you know, elementary, high school, I realized I was really interested in science was really interested in education and advocacy. And then I was really interested in human behavior and just like how our minds work, why people do the things we do, just all the different kind of intersections and forks in the road in different people's lives and why they took certain paths versus others. I also realized I was like really good at kind of being reflective about things and helping people to sort through issues without, it just kind of came naturally to me. Mm -hmm. So through there, and then, you know, kind of culminating and watching some of my, you know, high school classmates to deal with some mental health stuff as we move through the whole like end of high school, applying for colleges at like a very like kind of rigorous um, private school, like seeing that in particular made me want to focus on psychology. Okay. So I think that was kind of the, the jumping off point for me. So then I, you know, I, it's kind of from there, I just um, kind of went full steam ahead. I've never wanted to do anything else since then. I um, majored in psychology, did research in psychology, applied to grad school right after college. Um, I was very fortunate to be able to just take every opportunity that I was handed at um, Yale University to be prepared, prepared to go right to grad school. Um, and, you know, have just been on this path of being in child mental health since then. Um, as you know, being somebody in the in the dissertation stage of things, yeah. you know the uh, graduate school and PhD programs are very rigorous, and in clinical psychology, you're doing all that scholarship in addition to learning to be a clinician and a therapist. So you're doing field placements, you're out in the community, you're like kind of learning on the fly while you're doing the classwork and the research and what have you. So I was very very busy, but I was really really fulfilled, which told me that was the right thing for me to be doing. Mm. Um, and during at the end of that journey, we in clinical psychology have to endure another hurdle, even before we do our dissertations of get going into the match process where you find out where you're going to finish your um, clinical training before you get your PhD. Um, I, I landed in at Boston Children's and I kind of haven't looked back since. It's been um, just a great opportunity to do all the things that I think 
are what make this work meaningful for me, that I'm able to work, you know, very closely with inner city youth, helping people understand mental health work in a different setting than they necessarily would get it at. Like I work in primary care, which means that families don't necessarily have to be like, I need to seek out specialized mental, mental health care for my kid. They can get it right where they get their pediatric um, well care. So that I think has like, that was just like a light switch for me. Like this is, this is how I reach the most people. Wow. So that's kind of, so I, that, that was that I, I didn't know what primary care psychology was when I got to Boston Children's did an elective rotation in and I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think that has just kind of unfolded from there. Um, I, you know, I mentioned, I think when I was talking about the things I was interested in as a kid, teaching was one of them. I never really, once I got to grad school, I was like, oh no, I don't want to teach any classes. This is not fun <laughs> for me, but I am still a teacher in a different way of supervising trainees and being a training director who helps like, organize our internship program. Just remembering what a formative time, there's a small dog walking behind me, wondering, wondering what, remembering what a formative time that was for me. Um, when I first moved here and did my internship, I really value making this be like both a great learning experience, but like a supportive experience for everyone. So I'm able to work on that, do research. I started my own business, just like things have just really been unfolding. Um, I don't think I would have imagined all of this when I was like in high school, wondering what I was going to do, but and thinking I wanted to do psychology, but it's been a good journey. Wow. You know, it, it, I'm amazed at when, when we can be young and find that passion and never look back, you know, that, right. that yeah. is fortunate that you were able to do that. Um, on this journey, particularly when you're working towards the PhD, you know, I'm in, the, I'm in the thick of it right now. And one of the things I tell people is when, when young, when students are asking about PhD program and should they do it mm -hmm. or not, mm -hmm. I've been telling them the number one priority that I think has been overlooked, but shouldn't be, is your wellness. Yes, we, we don't even, 100%. Yeah, we don't even emphasize, we kind of tell you about some resources, but it's not central. It's, it's, it's one of those issues on right. the margins. So my question for you is, did you, did you have to, okay, what do you do to, to foster your own wellness? Mm -hmm. And even looking back during that time, did you mm -hmm. learn anything during that time? Did you have to like pause and say, wait a minute, right. I got to focus on what's going on with me right. that you can right. share, not just with PhD students, but with people in general. Right. Um, I and think me, that one of, yes, <laughs> one of the things, you know, even though you are so busy as a graduate student, I think this actually translates really nicely to just working adults and kind of everybody is that you do have a lot of time to think, right? There's always this like kind of thinking time. Um, and then it's important to use some of that time, I think, to reflect on what you need, because it's very easy to what you have to do or what other people need. But what do you need? And I think that um, my um, experience in graduate school is definitely something that made me focus a lot more on like, you know, physical and mental wellness, right? Like I was working and doing some really complicated things, working on some, in some really hard placements, really, you know, feeling some vicarious trauma of some of the things that I was seeing kids experience and knowing I needed to take care of myself. So I think that like that's kind of a, the beginnings of like my own like kind of really focused wellness journey in terms of getting, making sure like physical activity was a part of my life, getting into yoga, getting into meditation, um, you know, making sure I nurtured hobbies. I'm definitely one of those people who think that there's a balance in all things. Mm -hmm. So I, like, unless it's a season where which requires this, I was never somebody who was always, always, always studying. 
it just it just doesn't work for me like eventually it's just like it's just not doing anything you know what i mean so balance is so important having fun is so important i know that like when people are wanting you know are focused on giving kids advice about being successful they focus so much on the hard work and what you have to do humans can't just live off hard work so saying that to a person is scary and can turn them off so like reminding them that they have to take care of themselves is so important be they a graduate student a young you know a young kid an adult anyone focusing on the fact that you need to take care of your spirit too is always going to be so important. And you're right. And when pe- we talk to people about education, we act like everybody's a brain in a jar. No, your yeah. body has to go to school with you. <laughs> your spirit also has to go to school That's with you. That's great. That's great. That's great. A brain in a jar. You know, what you're talking about already is activism. Like yes. if I had to summarize it and I remember, um, I remember and I shared this in an episode before I'm like, I got to get her on, on my podcast as well. But Dr. Um, Dawn Henderson, uh, I remember when I was in a panel with her and she shared, she said, particularly for black folks, she was talking about black folks, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. were never taught how to breathe. Yeah. And she framed it just breathing, learning how to breathe as a form of activism. Mm-hmm. Right. And as I'm listening to you, we, we're taught, we're programmed, conditioned in this country to work, yes. work, work, produce, work. produce, produce. That rest is bad. Rest like you're is resting, bad. That's, not, that's not a good thing. Yeah. And it's revolutionary to rest. So yes. what you're sharing, I want those who are listening, this is activism. Yes, yes. This, if you're in whatever, um, whatever you're advocating for, whether it's social justice, racial justice, right. mm-hmm. se- uh, sexual, uh, sexism, um, whatever the activism is, really being, living, mm-hmm. this is activism. Prioritizing exactly. your wellness is a form of activism. You're, you're really bringing home something that I had to just remind myself of just during everything that was going on in 2020, where like just activism was just in the forefront. And I, I kind of wanted to be out there. And I'm like, but I, you know, I'm a, a, a wife and mom of a four-year-old mm-hmm. who was not for a time, you know, um, and just knowing I was like, I really can't be, you know, out here like this mm-hmm. in with my activism. But what I can do is be free in my own life and help other kids and adult young adults to get free. And Absolutely. like the, the work that I, I realized that the individual work on an individual level that I was doing with kids, the um the training work that I was doing with pediatricians to help them be more culturally responsive to kids. I realized like that's activism too. I don't have to be in the streets with a sign, even though I want it to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think that that really helps me to think about that. And it's like both like the rest and that individual work are both revolutionary acts. Yes. You don't have to run a movement to be someone who is helping us all to be more free. Yes, yes. I think you just freed somebody listening who may have either felt guilty or they're anxious about what do I do? What do I do? Right. And, and they don't they don't have the imagination to, to mm-hmm. give you an envision that one, the rest and the wellness is, is part of it. Number two, um, engaging in where they can. Right. Um, can you, can, you can help one person and that is a revolution. Yeah. Right. Like small habits make big change. Right. And I think that it's easy to see that in things like healthy eating or getting into exercise routine. But it is important in social justice, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when we, when we talk about mental health, um, it's, it's typically a topic that most people avoid. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Help us help. First of all, help. I, I'm always asking the question. I think I may have some of the answers, but I'm always asking this question: Why? Why is that? Right. Um, you know, on the surface, it may seem simple. Um, are we just simply conditioned 
over time to avoid the conversations around mental health? Um, are we afraid? Is this lack of information? What is it? Um, and why is this so important anyway? Help someone understand why mental health right. is so important. So I think I'm, I'll approach it through the angle of pediatric, you know, child and adolescent mental health. I think in our community, the black community, there is a stigma sometimes around seeking help for your children. And I get it because there's a protectiveness there. You know, there are so many institutions that have, you know, systemic racism inherent in them, be they the, you know, the child welfare system, the medical system, what have you. And so a lot of people are afraid. Like if I, if I say my kid needs help, will they take my kid from me? Yeah. You know, that's, that's often the subtext for a lot of families. Um, and so helping them see that if you find the right people, that they can connect and join with you to support the wellness and wholeness of your family. Nobody's trying to, like, the, the worst days of my life are when I have to call the Department of Children and Families. I never want to do it, right? So like explain, explaining to families that, it's like, that, this is the last thing I ever want to do. You all being happy and whole and healthy is my goal. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I do this work, and I think the reason that so, so many of my amazing colleagues across the country do this work. So I think helping people with that stigma and that fear is important. And then there's a lack of understanding. People don't think about mental health care as the same as health care, just like physical health care. You don't have to wait until you are very, very, very sick to take care of your body, right? Mm. You don't have to wait until you're very, very sick to take care of your mind either. And it doesn't mean that you're quote unquote crazy if you seek help. Yeah. I think there's this fear of labels and what does this mean? And there's no going back. That, that's I think that's big the fear of labels mm -hmm. um, and I think you know my own family I think about you know my, my own history and in the being conditioned to um, keep things to yourself and, and be so mm -hmm. self-sufficient right um, you handle it on your own right. um, which can also compound the, the issue right. in the first place um, so there's this fear of labels. I think you, you may have just given someone, you've just given me language to identify. What am I afraid of? Why am I afraid mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. even have this discussion, right? Um, and so what if I'm, I, I, have, I have a friend who <laughs> I, I would jokingly say, man, you, you, you know, you're crazy. Like you're certified crazy, right? He's like, you better believe it. So, and he, he owns that. He owns it. He jokes about it. But here's mm -hmm. what he's doing. He's disarming. He's he's removing the fear of someone else labeling him a certain right. thing mm -hmm. because he knows he's working through some issues. Right. He's and words are just words. Yeah. And if he takes control of those words and disarms them like that, they're just descriptors. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're not moral judgments or value judgments unless you internalize that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, let's, let's, let's focus even more on the mental health for, for children and youth. Mm -hmm. I wrote a, I wrote a paper um, that's being published hopefully later on this year, before the end of the year, if not early next year. Mm -hmm. And in, in the research, there was an article that talked about 50% of youth, of adolescent youth, 14, 18, mm -hmm. there's a 50% mm -hmm. increase in suicide attempts. Yes. So that, that yeah. was heartbreaking for me to even mm -hmm. hear. Not not to even mm -hmm. mention suicide ideation, depression. Right. There's this increase. Right. Um, can you talk to us about the state of our children in this country, um, particularly how the pandemic has affected them? Because yes. if it's affecting us as adults, 
you know it's affecting them. We know it's affecting them even right. more so. Right. I think that we are right now starting to see the ramifications of the isolation and kind of closed offness of society that were necessary to try to stem some of the tide of the pandemic, right? Like so many things were done for our physical safety that we had to put like mental wellness aside for a second. And now we're seeing like kind of the ramifications of that. I think um, a lot of kids spend a lot of time isolated. Um, a lot of the, the, the kind of support systems and senses of self that help kids feel good about themselves, whether they were sports or activities or what have you, they couldn't do. Um, the social connection and the just intellectual enrichment of being in in-person school was taken from a lot of kids. And a lot of people were stuck in bad situations that they used to get some escape from during the day. Mm. They were stuck at home with families that were even more stressed and even more just like, you know, dealing with complicated things. So when you put all that together, you can see how depression could increase. And then, I mean, anxiety increasing makes so much sense, right? Like mm -hmm. everything we had, you suddenly you had like the air was, it felt dangerous. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. Other people felt yeah. dangerous. Right. Yeah. And how do you explain that to a child? Mm. It's hard, you know, like, and you, you do your best, but for some people who have like kind of the um, predisposition to be more anxious, more sensitive to those things that can really increase anxiety for them. And then, you know, spending too much time by yourself, like, you know, teenagers like need to spend some time by themselves just as much as they need to spend time with their friends. But like too much time is like, you should, like they're just sitting there, you know, all, you know, rolling in your, all your flaws over and over in your head, mm -hmm. you know, all those sorts of things that like getting stuck in those like really negative thinking patterns, um, needing to have those social outlets to like grow and develop away from your family, but not getting that because everybody's stuck at home. So, you know, we came out of all of this and everybody's like, okay, like go back to sort of normal without acknowledging really what these kids have been through. Um, and like, there's, there's very simple examples that like, before we even get into the really deep um, nature of talking about like things like suicide, I think about patients of mine who were like, say in like fifth grade when this all started. So their whole sixth grade, for example, might've been in on, online, which means that now they missed that whole middle school transition, which we all kind of can remember. That's a big deal. When you stop being a little kid and now you got, you're kind of responsible for yourself and moving classes and all the social stuff, they didn't get that. They were home. Mm. So now you throw them into seventh grade and they're supposed to know everything. They're yeah. supposed to know how to, how to move in that environment. They're supposed to have a sense of how to be independent when they've been at home with their parents all this time. That's just like shocking to the system. Yeah. So that's just, that's for kids who are just typically developing not really having a hard time. That's still hard. So when, for some kids who might have already been depressed before this, the increase in the isolation and the stress and like what the different stressors that people have been under, whether they've lost loved ones or families have gone through hard economic times, people started to feel hopeless. And I think, you know, kids at with it, where they are in their brain development, sometimes they can't see further out that maybe next month this won't feel so bad. I mean, adults can't sometimes, you know, kids yeah, can't. Yeah. And so I think sometimes people have made impulsive, heartbreaking decisions. And the thing is, a lot of times kids might be making these sorts of attempts as a, I need help. I'm trying to scream that I need help. But the problem with screaming that you need help with lethal means is it might work. Mm. How do you have the conversation you mentioned a few minutes ago about it's hard to explain to your child um all that we've been through mm -hmm. um having to transition 
to distant learning, having to mm-hmm. um, social distance, and then having to transition back into like, right. How do you mm-hmm. so? How do you have the conversation there mm-hmm. that could lead to having having to have the conversation about what they're feeling and experiencing? Right. How do you have those right. conversations? I often tell people to keep it simple. Like I think people really look for, from my profession, very complicated advice. And nobody remembers complicated advice or knows how to use it. So I try to keep mine as simple as possible. And so for the little ones, really straightforward messaging, right? Of Like in the beginning, like this is how I even talk to my own daughter. Like there is a virus, a germ. It might make us sick. We have to protect ourselves. This is what we do. We wash our hands. We wear this mask. We're not, we're not going to be able to go to this class that we used to do or whatever. But we'll be able to do it again when the world gets better. And then you just keep having that conversation. Like, do you have any questions? Some you might feel scared. You might feel sad. Just open the door for what you might feel. Mm-hmm. And then they'll, then they can tell you, no, I don't feel that. Or like, oh yeah, mom, I do. Right. So that's with the little ones. But the older kids, I would help them to look at um, sources of information that you know are knowledgeable and um, evidence based, because like they know more about the internet than any adult. So helping them to navigate through the internet to see, okay, so this is a this this is a research article that you know scientists made. This is what this is you know this is how what they're saying about this. Okay, this is how they're talking about it on this news channel. This is how they're talking about it on that one. What do you think? Just like giving them that kind of information to be a good consumer of this, and also even maybe showing them some of these articles about like some kids are having a hard time. Do you feel like that? Do your some of your friends feel like that? That's always the easiest. Do some of your friends? Because mm. a lot of times kids won't want to talk about themselves. Like, what's going on with your friends? Are you, any of your mm. friends talking about being depressed? Yeah. Um, and then that can sometimes open the door. And then also not acting like you're not a human. A lot of parents are like, I got to be strong. I got to, you know, got to be tough for my kids. You can say, you know, I feel sad that I can't see my friends either. I wish we could go to grandma's house right now. That, you know, those are things I would say. Um, and to um, even now, it's like, it, I, like I was thinking about the, so, like, just all the kind of social justice awakening of last year. I, I sometimes would be feel emotional, yeah. and like I'm, I'm, I'm like, I feel sad because I like of, of what's happening in our world that people aren't kind to each other. Yeah. You can say that, yeah. you know. Um, and I think a lot of times parents are like feeling like they have to be this strong, like you you have to have that structure and that hold. Kids need to know that there is a secure base, but they need to know that you're a human too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you say keep it simple. As you were sharing some of those examples, I'm like. You know, we need to talk to some adults that way too. <laughs> they need to receive. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> Simplicity is the key to everything, honestly. You know, because some of these adults is like, um, why aren't you getting this? Um, it sounds to me, I'm not a parent, but if I were a parent, I would. What I would, how I'm interpreting that is, inviting, first of all, trusting that these, these the youth can actually understand and process yes. and have the conversations on yes. on some level. They're so smart. Children yeah. are like, I mean, I know that I feel, I see this because I'm like with them all day, uh-huh. <laughs> but like kids are so, so smart and perceptive. And I don't necessarily mean who gets good grades. Yeah. I think that they're just, no matter like kind of where they fall on that academic or intellectual spectrum, they see and understand so much. And like, just kind of like trusting them to be able to have that conversation these or any of these conversations. Yeah, and like meeting them where they are, but also acknowledging that you don't have to like sugarcoat everything. Yeah, because they yeah. can, especially the older ones, the older kids and the teenagers, they see through that they and they through. call BS like yeah. <laughs> immediately. Yeah. yeah, you know, I when I was when I was pastoring, I started with high school ministry, and I don't I don't like high school ministry. 
I don't like middle school kids. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't, to be honest. <laughs> but what I found, my method, which wasn't really necessarily received well, I treated middle school kids almost like they were high school kids. And I treated mm -hmm. high school kids like they were college students because I was trying to prepare them for the conversation they were going to have in right. just like a year from now. Right. Right. Rather than treating them a, like they were a, a, a phase behind where they were, right. I, I treated them where Prepare they were. them for, because the other thing that I think sometimes that is important to remember, especially like in our community, is other kids are getting all this enrichment yeah. to be at a higher level always. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like because of the kind of work I do, like having a private business and also like working in the community, like I see people across economic spectrum and you would be surprised what some people can throw at their children. Mm. <laughs> so anytime you can offer intellectual stimula stimulation, like trying to uh, help kids just to expand their minds and think about things really critically and analytically, do it. Mm -hmm. No matter what, like whatever modality you work with youth and whether it's at a church, at school, what have you, because a lot of people have, don't have access to the things that other people have. And then, then people will claim that they're not as smart. Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I heard you say earlier with these conversations was inviting them into your space of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Which that, is hard. Yeah. Parents, a lot of people struggle with this because they haven't really invited themselves into their space of vulnerability. Mm. Yes. <laughs> a lot of people are not healed enough to be yeah. able to be open like that. So a lot of, I think, parenting involves parenting yourself, too. And so the chain reaction, mm -hmm. being mindful of your own mental well-being, mm -hmm. being not being afraid to of those labels, to have those right. conversations, to seek help right. so that you are available to invite people, others, friends, family, mm -hmm. but particularly your children or yeah. those you may be responsible for into those spaces to mm -hmm. have those healthy conversations, which only strengthens them when they become adults to not be exactly. afraid of those spaces. Mm -hmm. Wow. How does social media, because, um, you know, even with that statistic I shared with you, 50 percent of suicide mm -hmm. attempts in adolescent, particularly it says adolescent girls from 14 to 18. But it mm -hmm. was a higher increase in African-American girls, 12 percent to 8 percent for white, white um, teenagers. Um, how does social media affect? I mean, we, we've heard the, heard the conversation recently with with Facebook and Right. And, and Instagram and everything. Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how does it affect from your perspective? How have you seen it affect um, adversely affect or contribute to um, this this issue of mental health with with teenagers, with youth, but also particularly people of color, youth of color, mm -hmm. black and brown mm -hmm. communities, especially? I think like with social media, it's one of those things where it's the gift and the curse. I think we talk a lot about the negatives. Um, there are some positives. I think being able to connect with others that might not be close to you, right? That realizing that you're not alone, that there are other people who like the same music you do or have the same feelings you do or care about the same issues you do can be so empowering to kids. I have also noticed that on some social media, particularly on TikTok, kids are talking about mental health and they're not always saying everything right <laughs> or like explaining the diagnosis the right way, but they're talking about it. And I'm just like sitting here, like my mind is like, like this is amazing mm -hmm. that they're having these conversations together on their platforms that they enjoy and feel control over. So that's the positive side. On the negative side is we've created this false reality, right? Like nobody actually looks like that. Nobody's life is actually that good. 
everybody is like trying to be an influencer. <laughs> and so then like, that's all that kids see. And if I mean, if you see something over and over and over, you think that's the norm and why don't I measure up? Mm. And it's very easy to see how that would lead to self-esteem issues, body image issues, um, kind of over-focused on this physical appearance and accumulation of stuff side of life and not the internal soul and spiritual side. Yeah. And then that, that can be just really damaging. Um, and I think that trying to help kids see that there is a balance there that like, you kind of have to call like BS on some of this stuff. Like nobody is happy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody only ever wears the most perfect designer outfits every minute of the day. Like yeah. even celebrities sometimes just wear sweatpants. Like, you yeah. know, like, yeah. I think just like, like, like I will often say these things humorously to kids. So like, just like kind of break the ice. on like you, know, like you don't have to be an influencer like that's her job <laughs> like yeah. her job is to look like that every day your job is to go to school yeah. um so yeah. we're all just doing our job and you don't have to hold yourself to the standard of somebody doing their job like they wouldn't expect that they have to understand human behavior the way i do that's my job so then why would you have to look in this fake way like that that some fitness girl or celebrity is looking you know mm -hmm. how do you how do you for parents who may be asking, who may ask this question, because uh, I think part of part of when we have the conversation or have had the conversations in the past, we dismiss um, mental crises or mental health um, concerns as they're just having a bad day, week. Mm -hmm. They're going through mm -hmm. a phase. Yeah, so how, a phase how, is such a word. Yeah. How mm -hmm. do I distinguish between they're having a bad week? They're just tired. Um, mm -hmm. Is ordinary growing pains right, from right. no? This is a mental health concern, and right. we need to address this. How do I distinguish totally. between the two? I think the first thing is to kind of look, like based off what you said. Like everybody's entitled to a bad day. Honestly, everybody's entitled to a bad week. You know, you know, judging someone's behavior or state off of a, a small snapshot of time, it's probably not going to get you anywhere. But the thing that I always help parents to think about is their overall functioning is your kid able to go to school able to participate in family life able to participate in their social life and their extracurriculars or are they struggling are they saying i don't want to go to school mom or dad like i, I don't i don't want to play sports anymore like if you're, if you're hearing that kind of stuff they're not able to participate fully in life they're with, with, withdrawing from the world these are concerning things the other thing is you're, you never have to feel like you have to 100 percent know the answer if you have a suspicion or a concern, it's okay to reach out. Like, because I work in primary care, I always talk about this. These pediatricians are like the first stop, right? Because they know me, they know us, they know mental health providers, and they know that like, they're trying to take care, well, well child care is taking care of the whole child. So if you go to the pediatrician, like, you know, they seem really down, I'm, I'm, I don't know what you think, they might, you know, be able to give you some referrals or just even some information that helps you and your child think about this a different way. Um, like I'm not feeling afraid to reach out because sometimes people will just kind of wonder and be concerned, but not really say anything or seek any help. And then it's like, we've kind of fallen down a bad path, yeah. which is kind of why our emergency rooms are so full right now. Mm. So basically, you know, if a kid is having an acute mental health crisis, what ends up happening is you need to get emergency care. But if everybody needs to get emergency care at once, what happens? It's a backlog. Yeah. So we've got children sitting in emergency rooms for days and days and days because there's not enough providers, there's not enough places, facilities for them to be treated. 
And I think that we can, we have to fix that part, but prevention will help us from continuing to be there. You know, talking to your kid and asking if they're okay before they get to a place where they feel so unsafe will keep you all from sitting for three days in an emergency room waiting to be, to figure out what's next. Yeah. You said, I think you said something key about prevention. You know, I, I was a personal trainer for 10 years and I, I still love it. I, I, there's a part of me. You have, that, you have done many professions. <laughs> I have done a lot. I have done a lot. I look back <laughs> on my life and I've, I've done a lot. It's only the half. But I still, and I think that's why I incorporate wellness. I've, I've always mm -hmm. had it in my ministry. It's mm -hmm. important to me today. Um, I incorporate it in the things that I write. Um, it's in my, it's going to be a part of my dissertation, mm -hmm. just wellness. I've always had that, um, maybe because I've always been seeking it. I've always needed it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, cause some of the things that you're sharing reminds me of my childhood, me growing up and wishing that I had some of the resources available then to process some things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't, um, but I think by the grace of God, I, I I'm okay. Um, but you talk about, talk about prevention and I don't think. I think we're so reactive as a nation right. in everything mm -hmm. and everything, you know, whether it's, whether we're talking social justice and mm -hmm. change um, policy reform and something, it's mm -hmm. always reacting to some mm -hmm. tragedy. If we're talking about as a personal trainer, people would come to me reacting to where they, where they ended up health wise for the last two, three, four years. Um, but not many people are proactive in preventing right. Like, I don't want to get there. And I used to have to try to paint that picture. You don't want to get here. want to get to this place. Yeah. Right. You don't want to get to the right. place where you have all these, this medication you have to take. And mm -hmm. I just think that that's, um, that is, is key is, is people, particularly parents, um, being more or thinking more preventative than yes, how do I respond when this thing happens right. rather than. Let me be proactive. Let me be mindful, right. aware. Because um, once you're aware, actually prevention is easier. Prevention mm -hmm. is easier than reactivity. Like it's easier, simpler yeah. things. Yeah. Prevention is like helping young kids understand that they, what emotions are, teaching them how to talk about them, teaching them what coping skills are, that when you have a hard time, these are things you can do to feel better. Creating that sort of relationship where your kid feels like they can talk to you about anything. These, these are prevention strategies that help it not get to that point or if it does your kid is going to come to you immediately i'm yeah. struggling hmm. and that's a whole different ball game than having to find out some other way yeah yeah you know one of the things that you shared earlier about um when we talked about having a bad week or um or even when when, when youth are withdrawing um mm -hmm. it's a little it's weird today because it, it the 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 generation behind us are and, and even some of us are so into their phones right they're right. so engaged in technology like mm -hmm. mm -hmm. my 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 niece um as every teenager i can't believe she's a teenager mm -hmm. but <laughs> every teenager that i know of they, they will they will they will be on their phones their screens with their friends especially during the pandemic when they couldn't really yeah. get together yeah but they're oh. always like Day. And it feels so weird to us who didn't necessarily come up like that. And like, oh, like, remember these technologies coming on. Like I had figured out how to socialize before that. But if you like see what they're doing, mm -hmm. they are socializing. 
Like if you like if you if you ever get a chance to just like ask like what they're sending each other memes and they're laughing about that. They've got like 16 different conversations going with all different people. They're screenshotting, oh, look at what he said, tell me what I should say next. Like they're actually doing all the things that we used to just do in person, physically, but it's on the phone. So I think that people should like pay attention to that because that's not necessarily withdrawing as long as you also are doing things in the physical world. A kid shouldn't be in their room doing that 24 hours a day. That was but the fact that, yes, but the fact that they're doing it a lot, fine. 24 hours a day? No. People should sleep. People should eat. People, people need to do their homework. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And, and she does. She She's an amazing student. Um, See, she needs that balance then, right? Yeah. It's like, that's just how they do it these days, I think. She's brilliant, man. I'm so proud of her. But the thing is, when they get away from the screen, they don't know how to engage. And I'm, that's yeah. my biggest concern. Like, I don't, right. I'm looking at, they, they most, most cannot look look me in the eyes they don't they're, really they're used speak. to looking down used to looking right. down it's almost like it's hard to engage in person right. is in that person. a concern moving forward yeah you, you you need those skills right i mean even if you think about like zoom life i'm not looking down you and i are looking at each other having conversation yeah. using social cues and stuff that we would use in person you need these skills still even in the virtual world so i think if people can figure out ways to help their kids practice this stuff mm. whether it's like doing things in person you know like taking taking your kid out to eat or get or you know get get ice cream or something and like neither of you use your phone and just have that be 45 minutes where the phone is not out mm. and they have to have like you can't just sit there thinking about what you're going to put on your phone when you get back but like let's have a conversation right yeah. just having them practice that stuff or um you know even though it is it's technology still okay be be a youtuber make a tiktok show me how because like that's still figuring out how to communicate with other people right yeah you know use their stuff to give them the skills that they okay. are still gonna need okay okay rather than fight against it and try to pull them away yeah. from it because you won't win if you fight if you fight you're not gonna <laughs> yeah win. you won't win well i, I won't i don't want i want to honor your time um i'm gonna give you the last words to mm -hmm. if you wanted to share with any parents out there, any any um, coaches, teachers, mentors, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. even youth. Someone right. may pass this this podcast on to a, a teenager mm -hmm. or something to listen to. What would you share with them? I'll give you the last words. Okay, um, thank you. So for the for the folks who are you know working with kids, raising kids, um, thank you. First of all, if, if you're listening to something like this, or even concerned about how you can be better a better coach, a better parent, a better teacher, that means you're already doing it. Like, and I have to worry about you less <laughs> in the sense that you're already doing a great job. So thank you. The best thing you can do is listen, right? Everybody needs to be heard. Everybody wants to be listened to. Ask questions and listen for the answers. Ask specific questions that there are not yes or no answers to. When you see something that you're worried about, let your kid know. Um, if you work with children, try to figure out a way to help that family find out that something's going on and help people understand that, that it's okay to seek resources, it's okay to get help, that there's no shame in that. And for the kids, if you're having a hard time, please, please, please let somebody know. You don't have to go through anything hard alone. You don't have to be alone and there's people and resources that can help you. So if you are struggling, you don't have to struggle. Ask, ask for help. You heard it. 
You heard it right here on Intersections, Dr. Sinclair, Dr. Kanisha Sinclair McBride. Thank you so much for um, your Thanks time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, mm -hmm. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I, I appreciate, I, I follow you, follow you on Instagram. I, I pay attention to the things that you post. And I think what you're doing is, is tremendous work. It's necessary work. And I just wanted to be a part of having your voice share this platform and, and hopefully someone hears you and um, is enriched. Your life is enriched today. Thank so you thank so you. much. Adam. I'm really appreciating having the opportunity to talk to you and to kind of get this message out here. Until we meet again. Thank you. Take care. You can check out Dr. Sinclair's website at www.KeneshaSinclairMcBridePhD.com. I'll spell it out for you. That's www.K-E-N-E-I-S-H-A-S-I-N-C-L-A-I-R-M-C-B-R-I-D-E-P-H-D.com. Or you can check her out on IG at Dr. Kanisha SM uh, to keep up with the work that she's doing. Once again, thank you so much for listening and joining me and parking with me at the intersections. <laughs>